Brilliant Misfits, Episode 53, a talk with Ricky Jane Adams, the author of Spiritually Fierce. Be unafraid to look into the shadow within ourselves and within the world. And it requires a warrior-like energy, but not the warrior at war. It's the warrior of light. So to me, Spiritually Fierce conveys all of that. And it is both it is both soft and yielding as well as strong and unbreakable. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brilliant Misfits. I'm your host, Asia Kennedy, and I'm delighted that you're tuning in. I really appreciate it. I'm deeply grateful, and I hope that you enjoy as much as I do uh, the talks that I'm having with women about all sorts of subjects. And today I have a really, really juicy subject to unpack with you. I have an amazing guest. I can't wait to introduce you to her, uh, introduce her to you. And she is going to talk about her passion, which is intuitive intelligence. So Ricky Jane Adams is my guest today. She's a spiritual scholar, an author, a speaker, really great speaker, and a high priestess of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence. Welcome, Ricky Jane. Thank you so much, dear one. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm so eyes. excited. I'm tripping over my words. So <laughs> no, it's I, when I sent those words to my designer and I said, "Make me a logo." I think I, I think I knocked her off her feet because it's like all those eyes and all those. But she did a beautiful job. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's a lot of eyes. Mm. And so, from for the listeners today and who are listening to this in the future. Can you just tell us, because you say High Priestess and the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence, so I just want you to briefly describe what you mean by High Priestess and what is the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence? Well, the two things obviously go very well together. I I do also call myself the principal of the Institute, but it sounds so sort of stale. And really, you know, what I teach primarily is is contemporary mysticism. And so taking on that role as the high priestess, training uh, contemporary priestesses uh, feels a lot more sort of congruent with the work that I actually do rather than principal of a, a, you know, old smelly Institute. But look, the Institute is, is exactly, as I said, It's a training ground for uh, modern-day priestesses, for contemporary mystics and spiritual leaders. And intuitive intelligence is the core method or philosophy. Intuitive intelligence is going beyond knowing that we're intuitive to living and trusting that intuition. And that's a very different thing. So we will mostly agree that, yes, we have a sixth sense. Yes, we felt our gut instinct. Yes, we've kind of had hunches. Some of us even know that we're, you know, really tuned into the infinite in a much bigger way. But even the most sort of faithful of us 
can really struggle to live and breathe our intuition because usually what it comes down to, Aisha, is a lack of spiritual self-esteem. But we can kind of step back a little if you like that sort of going down another path. So really intuitive intelligence is turning intuition into a living, breathing practice rather than just a really nice idea that gets me a car park when I need one to actually every breath of my life is guided by the infinite. Mm. Wow, I'm melting at the words. I love that. <laughs> and I do want to go back to spiritual self-esteem. But before we do, mm. I want to just mention that Ricky Jane Adams has just written a book yes. called Spiritually Fierce. Yeah. And I want you to just explain to me and to our listeners why the word fierce. Yes, it's a good word, isn't it? It's yeah. strong. So look, Really, you know, when I was writing the book, I wanted to find a way to convey, you know, we're, we're taught so often not to tell people what we do, but why we do it. Yeah, we, we all hear this again and again. Don't tell people what you do. Tell them why you do it, because that way you you give them insight into to what is motivating you. What is your purpose? And what I understood is that I could talk about intuitive intelligence till the cows came home. But it doesn't convey the living, breathing experience of living that thing. And and what I was capturing really in in the in the phrase spiritually fierce is what it is to live in communion, in that absolute state of faithfulness, in partnership with God. And I'm very comfortable with the word God. I'm not religious, but I do think it's a really good way of describing that that infinite intelligence of which we're all a part. So spiritually fierce is the commitment to living love first. And that does require a level of fierceness. You know, often in spiritual uh, circles or or people who look at spirituality from the outside were accused of being woo-woo and fluffy and new age. And it's actually, you know, to be a contemporary mystic, the opposite is true. We have to reconcile the paradoxes of our time. And that requires so much more courage and fearlessness than, than the kind of, you know, unicorns and fairy dust kind of idea. We actually have to go and into the darkness and face it and be unafraid to look into the shadow within ourselves and within the world. And it requires a warrior-like energy, but not the warrior at war it's the warrior of light so to me spiritually fierce conveys all of that and it is both it is both soft and yielding as well as strong and unbreakable so I hope that sort of gives you a sense of what I'm trying to convey Mm, I love that and you know when you talk about you know not it being fluffy that it's really a pragmatic practice. I'm all for things that are practical, things that can be applied, and not just concepts. Because I think in a way, when you talked about spiritual self-esteem, which I want you to explain, but you know, so many times there can be what I would say is um, feeding a spiritual ego. So we have all the trappings, the outer trappings, I think you call them trinkets and whatnot (laughs) of the spiritual path. And it looks like we're on the spiritual path, but actually we're still in fear because we're not actually diving deep into that shadow side and really owning all of our humanity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the the idea that we... (sighs) 
I don't know, the idea that we're, we're meant to be sort of always in this positive state or that we're always meant to be kind of fluffy and upbeat, it's, it's, it's actually a way to malign what spirituality is. It's a, it's a kind of mainstream idea, I think, that is designed to um, inoculate or, or reduce the power of living on the spiritual path. And it is, in fact, us as, you know, the spiritual leaders that will guide the planet to its next level of, of consciousness. And, and absolutely, as you say, we have to be willing to go into that basement, as I see it, the subconscious mind um, that is where we live from 90 to 95% of the time is full of an unmet fear program. And the beauty of the intuitive intelligence approach is that you, yes, you must go and meet it, but you don't live there. You know, you don't just label those boxes of fear and kind of sit amongst your own shit. You actually transmute that fear by understanding the immutable laws of the universe and that's another rabbit hole we can <laughs> disappear down if you like but i you know i really feel like we we are being called upon now to surrender our our superstitions and our trinkets to give up the idea that there's a crystal or a smoothie or a a, a particular kind of incense or even a modality that will get us there there are no magic bullets what it requires is is deep commitment and turning up as you say in your practices every damn day you know you can't you can't do this just on sunday mm. And, you know, I know that you always talk about aligning with love. I mean, that is the whole basis of your work. Is that right? Yeah. There yeah. isn't anything else. There, there isn't, is, isn't anything there else. Isn't anything else. <laughs> but often, you know, we get so caught up in fear and, you know, to trust, to be able to trust, to really develop a spiritual self-esteem. I think that it's, it, you can't go there. The fear is too strong. So what, what, is a, what is something that, you know, people can do if they feel like they're really caught in fear? They, they hear what you're saying. They'd like to do that. Mm. But it's like, oh, but how do I do that? Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to say in response to that. One is that actually it's the fear that we don't yet know that is usually our biggest problem, not the fear we're conscious of. So we can talk about that a little bit more. But the idea is that, yeah, it is it is exactly as you say, it's trust. And who are we trusting? Well, you know, to, to live your intuition means that you have to believe there is something bigger than you that is guiding you because otherwise who's speaking that intuition to you? Like it, you've got to have a, a faith that there is an infinite intelligence of which we are all a part. And how do we, we do that? Well, we have to know we're worthy of being that. So in truth, what we have to do is begin to give up the belief that we are not God. And, you know, it, it isn't necessarily easy. And that's the other thing I think is really important about this is that it's it's not the path that you choose because it's the easy path. We don't awaken because it's the fun, easy path. You know, we do it because we're called and there's no, really, there's no alternative. If you try you to avoid that calling, you'll generally end up sick or or um, debilitating yourself in some way or doing doing something, you know, that is not healthy or constructive. So the first step is is really to, I, I believe that, the, I'm just trying to break this down, so how do you meet your fear, is, is really to be willing. So understanding that fear is a messenger. Fear is not actually a problem in and of itself. It contains information and it's showing up because there's an imbalance. And if we take that open and curious position towards what we're afraid of, even if we're 
bluffing, you know, even if for a while we have to fake it, we practice being open and curious and investigate that fear rather than immediately believing it, then we're going to begin to open to the dialogue of what is the message in the fear. The way that fear will show up, of course, is is in various ways, anxiety, depression, and stress are three really good ways that fear will show up in a consistent kind of low level, not, not necessarily kind of like car crash style, but really subtle eroding of, of a sense of inner peace, a sense of health and a sense of, of joy about your life. So, you know, I know that that's a lot of information right there, but I think it really is about that sense of, of can I be curious about what I'm feeling rather than jumping into the middle of it, boots and all, and kind of just, just buying into the fear. Mm. Very good point. I think having that curiosity, if you can even just remember that, you know, what you're saying and to the listeners. So when you're caught in fear, just remember what we're talking about here is to just up, switch over and, and start to be curious about it. Look yeah. at it in a different way. Don't let it grip you. Just like start to be curious and let it reveal itself to you. I love that, what you're saying. Yeah. And also, you know, you're touching on that that story that we've been conditioned to that we are separate from the infinite or God, whatever you want to label it, in this whole idea of separation, um, we can't do things alone. And I think that once we start to really embrace that there is something bigger, greater than just our small self, then we can let go a little bit. We can start to trust more and yes. the fears start to dissolve. Yes, and we don't even have to have a spirituality to do that. You know, mm. quantum physics has been telling us for over a 100 years now that we are all energy and that we are connected in a unified field. So even if we're not looking at it from a kind of metaphysical perspective, if we take the time to educate ourselves, and unfortunately our dominant cultural paradigm, even our great scientists of our age, won't talk about this kind of science because it is so, you know, radically paradigm shifting. Mm. We, we can educate ourselves and knowledge is power. We understand there is a unified field. We understand that there is an interconnectivity of, of, of life and that, that if we understand even simple things like quantum entanglement, we are able to understand how science can now back up what metaphysics has always known. And that, that is the beginning of building that trust relationship that there is something bigger than me that is guiding and supporting me if I choose to take the time to acknowledge that look it's guiding and supporting me anyway it's just I can make it much harder and <laughs> have much more catastrophic and chaotic experiences of awakening or I can kind of come lovingly to the table <laughs> so that's the choice we have <laughs> yes yeah, so we can make it hard I know I can make it very hard sometimes and it doesn't have to be and I think one of the key phrases that um you know jumped out was be willing. I love that. I love yeah. to just remind myself, be willing. It's a very expanding sentence to just say that, be willing. Yeah. And it kind of lets you explore something that maybe you haven't explored before, or you felt too scared to explore, but just be willing and to be curious. Yes. Now, you're, you actually, to me, embody this beautiful balance between science and spirituality, and you're just talking about quantum physics and all of that. What is your background, Ricky Jane? Do you mind to just well, I, tell <laughs> us about that a little bit? 
I wish I were a scientist because I love the science of of where we're being taken with quantum physics. And I really do have to work very hard to keep up because, in fact, my background is as an artist. I'm a playwright um, by trade and I actually did my undergraduate degree in theatre and I really thought I was going to be Kate Winslet. That was my <laughs> great life goal um, was to be Kate Winslet. I'm pretty sure the job's already taken. But, um, you know, in my... In my early academic career, I definitely wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to be surrounded by makers in, of that sort. And then I realized that writing was my great love. So I went on after a few years of working as an actor's agent. I actually started a PhD and, and finished a PhD at Melbourne University in creative arts. And what I did that in was a particular literary genre called magical realism. And the reason I chose magical realism, if you're not familiar with it or your listeners aren't familiar with it, it's a literary genre that m- meshes the, the the real and the spiritual, if you like, or the, or the mundane and the spiritual. And it comes out of South America and we know that is a part of the world where the indigenous um, spirituality was kind of conquered by the, the Spanish kind of um, um, or in different parts of, of, of South America, there was Spanish or Portuguese, the, the kind of Western civilization meeting the indigenous cultures. And this created a very unique perspective of what reality is, which is far more permissive of the non, um, if you like, the non-dominant reality than we are in the West. So the West, we're very reasonable, we're very closed off, uh, and we're very, you know, evidence-based. Empirical evidence is what we we see as God. And in in this part of the world where magical realism emerges from, where we're able to sit in stories of, of chatting with our dead grandmother just as equally as we're talking to our living partner. And the, these distinctions between life and death and, and all of these ideas, these binaries that we're sort of bound to in the West are are dissolved and life is much more um, much more fluid and much more magical, hence the term magical realism. And I did that because I wanted to get a PhD from the best university in Australia and I wanted to be within that ivory tower institution, but I didn't want to give up my spirituality. So I sort of found a sneaky way that also married my love of creative writing and um, and theatre and came up with this idea of of writing a PhD on these on these things. So that's you know that's my background and I do bring my academic training and that level of rigor to my institute because I believe in order to mainstream the intuitive sciences, we need to be able to speak the language of the mainstream. And we need to come out of this new age ghetto that that is often often we are our own worst enemy. Now that's not to say that we need to imitate the mainstream. We don't need to um you know, adopt adopt the way of doing things. But if we're able to have conversations with people who don't already believe what we believe and to to just open them perhaps with knowledge and information that has an evidence base, then I think we're going to do far more to change consciousness at a global level. Mm. So let's explore a little bit about your book. I'd like to go into that because I think it sounds like you say it's a guidebook. Yes. And the purpose of the book is, correct me if I'm not uh, mistaken, but the purpose of your book is to demystify intuition. So I want to talk about that a little bit. 
because you already talked a little bit about the difference about knowing intuition and living it. So I just want to go a little deeper with that so we can really maybe take away some practical tips and tools today to starting to really um, understand what living intuition is. Absolutely. Once again, I'll go back to that premise that knowledge is power. You know, we take intuition as it, just because it's innate we should we either have it or we don't but it it should just be there and in fact it is you know just because we can all speak french doesn't mean that we'll take the time to develop it it's it's a skill that is like a muscle and the more you work the muscle the more able to know and hear and then live and trust your intuition you are and like all of the things we've been talking about the theme is practice but when we understand the science of intuition when we understand that there are different kinds of intuition and that those intuitions work at different times and in different ways, we can start to move beyond um, just, once again, having a very kind of blanket approach to it. So HeartMath Institute, who are a fabulous organization in the US, who really are um, a, you know, an excellent peer-reviewed scientific organization with rigorous uh, systems in place for all of their testing have established that there are three kinds of intuition. And I do go into this in the book, and it's also available um, on their website. The three kinds of intuition are, um, and now I'm going to have to remember, <laughs> I need to get my book out in front of me. Um, I'm just going to grab my, we've got energetic sensitivity, we've got non-local intuition, and we've got the third kind, which is implicit knowledge. And basically each of these work within us all of the time, but, but they're working in different ways. So implicit knowledge is, for example, when you take your car to the mechanic and he's an old craggy looking mechanic who's been listening to car engines, you know, for 50 plus years, and he turns the engine over and without even lifting up the bonnet, he can tell you what's wrong with the car. And we would say, well, he's so intuitive. But in truth, he's just got this back catalog of knowledge and experience that is, is, you know, means that he's an expert without necessarily having to know what he knows. He just knows what the problem is. He doesn't have to deduce by logic step by step, as we might have to do if we were trying to figure out what was wrong. The next kind is energetic sensitivity. And this is just our, you know, this is as, as our biological makeup, if you like, we are emitting an energetic field or an electrical field all of the time. And that is able to be picked up or read by other people around us, just as we're able to interact and read other people's energetic um, output. Now, we perhaps think of this as, as being empathic or highly sensitive, but if that's the case, then all 7 billion of us are. Because the truth is, this is just a, a, a part of our biological functioning. The interesting thing for us is that the heart, which we're going to, you know, when we keep talking about um, what is intuition and where is it, is located not in the third eye, but in the heart. And the anatomical heart actually produces the biggest electromagnetic field of any part of your body, which, as we go on to discover, is, is really curious and also very helpful. So that energetic sensitivity is just us interacting with the world and everything that is, you know, the chair, the table, this computer, me, you, we all have a field and that field um, is interacting with all the other fields in, in, the, um, in the bigger field or the, the unified field. 
So we're picking up information all of the time. And if we don't understand that that's what we're doing, of course, it can get really confusing because we might think that that stuff is our stuff or we may not understand how easy it is to not be sort of have that stuff attached to us, um, that in fact, this is part of our superpower, not part of our um, disability, which is often how we feel when we describe ourselves as being empaths or highly sensitive and the mm. third third kind of intuition, which is my favorite and really what my institute is built on, is non-local intuition. Non-local is a quantum physics term, which basically means, um, you know, Deepak Chopra talks about us being non-local entities having a local experience. And effectively, what he's saying is that that which we can see in the mirror is only one part of what we are. And our quantum selves is much vaster. So we're not actually solid matter at all. And our quantum nature means that we're able to communicate non-locally, acausally, across time and space. At the quantum level, time and space doesn't exist or operate at the way we think about at this kind of human level, this, this five, five um, dominant senses kind of reality. So we're able to acquire knowledge non-locally without having to go to the place. So we might wake up one morning and go, I need to move to Paris. Oh, my God, I just... That's so certain it's inside of me. There's a certainty of that truth that even though I do not know anything about Paris and I have no idea how I'm going to uproot my life, I absolutely trust. And, you know, if we were thinking like a human, we might then go and Google Paris and we might look at the cost of rent and we might do this and we might do that and we might spend, you know, years building up a case for why moving to Paris should not happen. But if we've, mm. you know, if we've learned to, to live in our intuitive intelligence and we keep following the, the guidance of the infinite that is always supporting us, we may suddenly discover that there's a residency in Paris that we're perfectly eligible for and we apply for it. And suddenly we have six months of accommodation and stipend to live and work in Paris as an artist. And, and, and we wouldn't have let that into our consciousness if we were thinking like a human, Yeah. We're just mm. opening to a much vaster intelligence than our own limited local consciousness can permit. Mm. And that's why I can see now the book that you've written, Spiritually Fierce, and then the tagline underneath is a question, are you ready to surrender to your unlimited self? Mm. And um, <laughs> good and, question. Uh, <laughs> it is a great question. And, and also, <laughs> you know, I look at words and I think, well, you chose the word surrender to your yes. unlimited self. You didn't say, are you ready to live in your unlimited self? So, I'm, mm. you know, I'm curious about that. What does the word surrender really mean? I think it's it's something that people fear. Mm. You know, they hear the word surrender and, and it's like, oh, it's like I have to give up something yeah. or give up control. And and yet it's such a beautiful place to to be when you can actually embody surrender in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love that thing of looking in the mirrors, just one part of who we are. We're so much more than that. Yes, we are. You know, it is it really is a very carefully chosen word because it isn't surrender is not a doing word. <laughs> you know, you mm. can't do surrender. You, you actually have to just give yourself over to it. You have to fall back into it, if you like. And the, the truth of it is that our unlimited self is what we are. So we don't have to go find it. We, we're just surrendering all the limited parts of ourself and those limited parts are fear. And when we understand it's as simple as is it love or is it fear, 
we move out of all of the complicated belief systems that we can tie ourselves up in as spiritual seekers and we simply melt or surrender into the truth of love. And love is your unlimited state. It's, it's not anything external. It's not something that you can go and buy. It's not something you can train. All you can do is move the impediments that prevent you from knowing your true nature, which is love, which is all there is, which is God, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, that, that idea that I can't teach you how to be more intuitive I can teach you to surrender or give up the things that prevent you from knowing that the infinite is whispering to you the answers of your life all of the time. And all you have to do is start listening. And that's, you know, it's, it's such a shift from the kind of very uh, masculine dominant way of going out to get something and hunting it down and making it yours and pushing until you have it and getting more of this and getting more of that. And, you know, this idea is get less to have the abundance of the infinite, you know, get less, give up, give mm. up your, give up your, um, your limits that's all you have to do and you know it's it is the hardest thing because we're taught that success is is to hunt down not to fall back into not to give up yeah know. it's to chase and to strive and yes. to go after not to like you said melt into what a beautiful sensation to just even say melt into yeah you know, into that feeling of love. And so what I'm hearing is that like when we connect to those feelings of love and we can all do that, we can recall times when we really felt expanded and love in our hearts, mm. even momentary uh, experiences. And when we do that, then it's, it's what you've been talking about of exercising the muscle. Yes. And the more we can do that, is that what connects us to being more intuitive? The more we can exercise that muscle of feeling into the love and, and aligning with that sensation. Absolutely. There's nothing else that's required. Like you really, you, you cannot go and learn to read tarot cards or to, to, to use an oracle deck or to pick up a pendulum if you have not first met your own fear because what what those things are just extensions of you first of all they don't have any power in them of themselves and so it's it is absolutely just just about removing the fear block so that you can inhabit your true state you know love if you like is the language of the infinite and if if that is the case, then all you have to do is become attuned to that frequency. So if we talk about the law of vibration for a moment, when I teach people how to become more intuitive, I teach them how to change their vibration. Because if you think about it like tuning in a radio, if you want to hear a particular station, you have to keep moving the dial or, you know, if you're using a digital radio, you know, you have to keep scanning until you find the right frequency. And then when you're tuned into that frequency, the message is loud and clear. The voice on the other side is loud and clear. There's no doing. You don't then have to try and decode that. You just listen. And that's exactly as it is with intuition. When you change your frequency from fear to love, which is a practice, you cannot say to me that you can't hear your intuition and sit in fear. You're absolutely right. You can't. That's, that's true. But if you want to hear your intuition, you simply need to make a choice to choose love first. And that is where the fierceness 
comes in because your entire world is conditioned. You are conditioned to believe that the world is a scary place, that there is not enough for everybody, that people are out to get you, that, that especially in our spiritual circles, oh my God, we talk about this idea that there's bad energy out there that's trying to get us. And you touched on it before when you said, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest issues that we have is this idea of separation. Mm. When we believe we're separate, we're in fear. And when we understand or remember or surrender into our unlimited truth, which is all is one, which is the first law, the law of mentalism, we are able to just inhabit our truth without any effort. But it requires discipline because it's much easier to fence ourselves off and say, they're bad guys, I'm a good guy, that stuff's happening to me, I'm a victim of that circumstance. It's because there's bad juju out there in the world that these things happen to me, the universe is teaching me a lesson, you know, blah, 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 all of this bullshit new age rhetoric that actually just keeps us trapped in cycles of fear has no validity when we remember that we are simply vibrating particles of matter and all we have to do is change our vibration. And, you know, I taught you a practice recently when we were together in Brisbane, Aisha, of um, heart coherence. Mm. Heart coherence is the most profound tool that we possess to become more intuitive and it's got nothing to do with oracle cards or crystals or pendulums, you know. It's about us getting closer to God. Mm, I loved that meditation. I, I wonder, mm. do you do that? Can you do that like on on yeah. air without? Oh well, let's do that in a little bit. But I want to yeah, just yeah. talk about this whole shift in paradigm. I could feel, I could just feel that passion rising in you as you were just mm. talking now, and about you know the whole idea of us, you know, the new age is still operating out of fear in a way and this it's all about survival and yes. um you know blaming these outside things and everything is outside yes. and before that when you were talking we really you really turning this whole idea of seeking on its head because yes. You know, we're conditioned to think that we're seeking something outside ourselves. We need something outside ourselves in order to arrive. Yes. And the joke or the cosmic joke, I like to say, is that it's already there. Yes. It's all there already. And yes. we keep looking everywhere but there. Yes, because it's actually really scary. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. What if I actually am the infinite that I'm mm -hmm. seeking? Oh, shit. <laughs> I suddenly have to take responsibility for my life and the state of my relationships and the state of my bank account and the quality of my engagements with other people. All of it suddenly is within my power. And, you know, as Marion Williamson says, some people would rather die than change their mind. You know, the, the weddedness to being the victim of reality is so sort of entrenched in so many of us that it can be very, very scary to suddenly have your power placed before you. And, and to actually know that, that there is nothing, not even your genetic inheritance that is not changeable, like everything about us is within our capacity to change when we understand that quantum physics, when we understand the immutable laws of, of the universe. And it's, it's terrifying and it's, it's incredible, <laughs> you know, but we have to move our fear. We have to know our spiritual self-esteem in order to take up that mantle and to say, yes, I am God and I am everything and I am nothing. Mm. And, you know, the word power, I think, um, you know, it just reminds me, you know, talking about modern day priestesses and 
you know, really training women to get in touch with that power again, to really align with love, to release the fears and to really recognize that they are the God or goddesses. And I think in a way, I mean, I don't know, I believe in, in reincarnation. So for me, just my own personal experience, I had to work through a lot of fear of stepping into my power because I'm sure that at some form of life, things may have happened by doing that. And, um, you know, it's been a struggle. And yet, I'm very committed. It's like that willingness, you know, that's all it takes is a willingness. And that willingness calls in the other forces, the the greater forces that surround us, whether you call them God, the infinite, whatever, the divine, um, it will support you in stepping through those fears. So thank you for bringing that up. That's really an important point because I think it's a very timely um, subject right now on Mm. our planet that we move out of that survival victimhood and really take back our power, which has always been there, as you say. Absolutely. You know, Aisha, given, given, you know, any woman who is on her spiritual path in this lifetime has undoubtedly lost her life, been tortured, been drowned, been murdered, been burnt at the stake for having walked her spiritual truth in, a, in another lifetime. You can pretty much guarantee it. So that fear is archetypal. And there's great power in knowing that because then we understand it's not actually personal. We're transmuting that wound on behalf of all of the divine feminine. And it is our responsibility. It isn't just about, can I do this for my own little life? It's, mm-hmm. can I do this for the divine feminine consciousness? And it's also, you'll hear my rising passion on this particular subject, you know, that we are so far removed from our power as women, not just, you know, I'm not talking simply about the divine feminine here. I'm talking about those who are in female bodies at this time, that we do not even understand how removed we are from a sense of ownership of our own lives. And so when you begin to wake up as a woman on this path, you are literally doing it for all women in all directions of time and space. And you need to overcome your self-doubt as an act of service to the planet at this time. There's literally nothing that has happened to you that is bigger than that. And there is not a single story or lifetime that can deter you from that when you begin. And that is really what my institute is about, is, is reminding the women that I have the great privilege of serving and training. There's no story that you can bring me that is bigger than what your truth is. And that age that we are in now, we're literally, you know, everything is speeding up. We are in a time that is so extraordinary. There is no more fence-sitting. You cannot be half in, half out with this. You you must simply surrender because otherwise you're going to get taken <laughs> one way or another. You know, why not go willingly? Why not go with joy? Why not go with love? Why not go with bliss? Why not go with the least amount of dogma and belief between you and the infinite as possible? Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) And I think that you just really addressed something when you said there's no story that is bigger than your truth. And I think for all of us women who suffer with (laughs) self-doubt, whether that's from, you know, past lives, whatever it is, I see it as um, something that comes up over and over and over again. And for all the women listening, if you encounter that self-doubt, write this down Mm -hmm. and remind yourself that there is no story 
that is bigger than your truth. And I think that's a really powerful statement to say to yourself. And and because when you say it, you recognize it. Yeah, you feel it. You feel yeah. it, baby. Like there's there's power in those words. And it's it's because we're being supported at this time to feel it. You know, we absolutely, every, whatever you believe, whatever your belief systems is, you know, no matter how many dimensions you think surround the world or whether there's gods or devas or fairies, I don't care. Whatever it is that you believe in, if you are a believer, you know that the veil is very thin, that the sense of, of connection between dimensions, the capacity for us to know our non-local selves is far greater than it has ever been. And that isn't an accident. The reason that we are here at this time in human consciousness's journey is because we are the ones that need to be here. So the longer you sit in your bullshit, and I'm, you know, I say that with love because we all have our own bullshit, the longer we're pretending that we are not what we actually are. And you, you've got to make a choice. How long do I want to hold on to my suffering? How long mm. do I want to make that my identity? And, you know, as I said, you know, it's with great power comes great responsibility. You've got nowhere to hide when you take your power. Mm. Beautifully said. And I think that it's important to recognize, too, that, you know, when we come into a human form that, you know, the suffering isn't there as a punishment. Um, you know, the show is called Brilliant Misfits, and I, I believe we're all in some way, shape, or form a misfit. Mm. And, you know, there's times when we felt like we're at odds with the world, that we don't fit in, and it can be a suffering. I know I suffered with that when I was young. And then I came to recognize the gift in that. And the gift is, is that when you don't fit in, life is actually guiding you that suffering or that discomfort is actually guiding you because you're not aligned or you're not in line with the the laws that you're talking about Ricky Jane mm. and when you start to pay attention and wake up and sometimes we do need that little bit of a suffering to wake up and just recognize that oh I'm really not happy here and I've got to do something and in that search in that sort of willingness to open up to something greater then we can be guided and be more in alignment with the laws yes absolutely and I do, you know, in the book I talk about this quite a lot I actually structure the book around three turning points in my life which if we were to judge them as good or bad you know in human terms you would categorize them all as bad events and mm. yet the reason that I share them is because you know my core philosophy I've written an article about it that's had over 100,000 views and and the next book is actually going to be about this is what if there is no problem and that's another tool that we can use to apply to the events of our life because judgment of good or bad is actually what causes the suffering. Now, how far do you want to go with that? Now, it, it, it is absolutely an unlimited uh, question. It can be applied to anything depending on where you are in your own journey. So when I recently, you know, sat with my mother just before she was having a triple bypass open heart surgery, I realized that perhaps for the first time I was able to live that what if there is no problem if she did not make it through the surgery she was in a very unstable condition they described it as being five minutes to midnight that she couldn't even get out of bed to go to the bathroom because her risk of having a heart attack was so great and I could sit with her with no fear and just love her and know that if 
she wasn't in human form after that operation, that nothing would be different about our love for one another. In fact, it would probably just be really much better because, you know, she would be unlimited in every way and we would have lots of fun together. But it wasn't a place that I could have been in a decade ago. You know, it took spiritual fierceness and meeting my fear every damn day and some days not and some days eating all the chocolate and staying in bed and crying but but having a willingness to keep that movement of of fearlessness going that I could see no problem in her situation Mm. luckily you know she is a very very profound spiritual teacher so she was sitting there with me in that space and we could hold one another in that space together and it felt like a huge privilege and you know it 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 is it is a great place of peace to live and it's it's just absolutely surrendering the idea of what is right or wrong what is good or bad what what is is and when we feel as though the central question of of or the central tenet of intuitive intelligence is you know i am a divine piece of a benevolent universe that is always working on my behalf to live in that space is total freedom and bliss and it's 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 worth it's worth getting fierce for it's worth turning up every day to try and you know occupy that space and and really no trying just surrendering but to 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 make that that's my central compass that's what I keep navigating from and coming back to is is what if there is no problem what if this is just life serving me and no matter how hard or ugly your circumstances that 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 might be your key to freedom as well mm. I love that question. I love how you explained it. And I really think it's a question that moves us out of the realm of duality, which is what our planet mm-hmm. operates in. Yes. You know, there's duality everywhere, and yet we're not. And that question just brings us back home. I love that question. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think maybe now, Ricky Jane, <laughs> maybe now would be a good time to lead us through yes. um, a little Heart coherence. Meditation, yes. heart coherence meditation. And if you're driving, don't do this until you no. get home. <laughs> no, no, d- listen later. Listen now and do it later. later. Yes, and I do wanna... tune back in and, and it's a beautiful meditation. It is. And I actually want to sort of be a little bit pedantic here and say I actually don't want to even think of it as meditation because it actually requires uh, us to not think of it as a tool for our relaxation. It's not actually that at all. It's a very laser-like spiritual tool that must be practiced with that inner spiritual fierceness and discipline that whilst you know those who are very seasoned meditators will understand that's what meditation is it can be too tempting to think this should somehow be relaxing or um, you know we should go into a, a certain particular feeling state eventually that will happen of course where we just fall into love the second we start practicing but if you think about it as more of a a really kind of precise tool to begin then it might just help the people who are listening to kind of approach it in a particular kind of way so I hope you don't think I'm being sort of annoying and pedantic but it really helped me to understand that it isn't about relaxation it's not about um, you know closing our eyes and kind of drifting away it's actually about bringing ourselves into this single pointed focus to alter our vibration and that's Mm. you know that's a powerful thing 
Yes. So let's think of it as a tool to alter our vibration. And and it's also not a complicated and a long thing. It's only no. a few minutes, right? Absolutely. And the right. more you do it, the, you know, you, you probably even know for yourself now, you take those two fingers to the center of your chest and within seconds you're there. Like, you, you mm. know, you're in that state. So let's let's do it. Those of you who can, close down your eyes. If you're driving, as Aisha suggested, please wait until you're in a safe space. But if you're able to now, closing down your eyes... Deep breath in through the nose, let it go out through the mouth with an audible sigh, letting go of all the effort, all the effort required to bring you to this point in your day. And with eyes closed and breath extended, we're signifying to our physiology that we're very, very safe. And just keeping that breath slightly extended but in your own natural rhythm. I want you now to take two fingers or the palm of your hand to the center of your chest and lightly place some pressure there. We're just signifying to our consciousness that this is where we want to be located just for the next few minutes. And now with absolute mental focus, you're going to bring to mind people places, events or memories that elicit strong feelings of gratitude, appreciation or compassion. If you like, you can make a mental list of five things for which you feel, really feel profound gratitude, perhaps the perfect cup of coffee you had this morning or the smile from your baby that feeling when you first get into bed at night. Don't overcomplicate it. Whatever it is that brings you that feeling state of gratitude, compassion, appreciation. And with every breath, bring your mind back to those images, single-pointed focus. And you begin to feel that feeling state expanding, perhaps like you're feeling a balloon around your heart. With every breath, you can feel those feeling states increasing in intensity, easefulness, grace. Now lowering your hand to your lap, taking another deep breath in, letting it go. Whenever you're ready, gently blinking, open your eyes. Knowing that when you do that practice for yourself, you'll ideally hold that state for around three minutes. And you can time yourself if you like, just to see how long three minutes really is. <laughs> And practice it as often as you like. You actually can't overdo it. 
And I make it my habit to do it before any meetings or if I'm going into a big event or even if I, you know, just before I get out of bed in the morning. What you're doing is you're changing your vibrational state by attuning to the higher vibrational emotional or feeling states. And gratitude, appreciation and compassion are good ones for us to practice with because unlike the word love, which we know from our experience can be something that we um, can often be very conditional <laughs> or, you know, we, we allow people to do things to us in the name of love that, that is not actually loving at all, gratitude and compassion tend to be fairly clear for us. What you'll find over time is that you just take those two fingers to the center of your chest and you're in that state. You don't have to bring any mental images up. But you can use it as a precursor to meditation because it is a brilliant way to bring yourself into the state you want to be in when you meditate. Thank you so much, Ricky Jane. And um, I, I have been doing the heart coherence tool um, and I really – it's so beautiful. It's so simple and profound. And it, it does only take a minute or two. I do it in the morning before my head shifts into thinking about all the things. Yes. I just set up my day, set it up every day. I highly recommend that you try this, setting up your day with this really brief, beautiful, profound practice of heart coherence. So yes. thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, my great pleasure. It is, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely so simple that it was easy to dismiss but I hope very much that that, that it's the beauty of it isn't sort of lost just because it is so simple mm, yeah we like to complicate things don't we oh yes well that's the thing you know trinkets trinkets and superstitions rather than meeting our own power um mm. if I know we're getting close to finishing but I would love to share with you the spiritually fierce vow that is in the front of of my book because I think oh, it really do. helps convey what it is that that is intuitive intelligence, but also what it is to live in this state of spiritual self-esteem. And as I say, for a while, you might have to kind of fake it till you make it, but making vows like this on a daily basis, practicing heart coherence on a daily basis, being curious about your fear rather than believing it. These are all very simple tools that can change our lives and increase our intuition if we're willing to just let them become normal. So I'll just lead us through it. And if you're at home and you want to say this out loud after me, please do. And what I might do, Aisha, is share the first chapter of my book so you can give it to your listeners if you like, and it's in there as mm. well. So I vow this day to meet my fear. I vow to remember that I am unlimited even when I feel separate and finite. I commit to live with power and humility, strength and vulnerability, grace and grit, and to know that these qualities are the qualities of the infinite, of which I am a divine peace. I vow to live beyond the trinkets and superstitions of the new age. I vow to remember that spiritually fierce is not just a phrase. Spiritually fierce is a movement of awakening consciousness of which I am a vital part. I give my life to the infinite within me above all else. I surrender all that is not of this truth. I vow to live with the inner discipline, the soul fire, that inspires me to choose love first, every single time. Mm. 
beautiful. Bless. I'm so happy you read that. And <laughs> and for the listeners, please um, give them the information of how they can get in touch with you, Ricky Jane. Sure. So I'm going to put everything on the show notes, but just um, let us know yeah. how they can get a copy of your uh, first chapter of your book, yes. which I've read and I love. Well, you can go to my website, rickyjaneadams.com, and that has all the information. The book is available for pre-order right now, and you can also access that first chapter. And you can also join my tribe on Facebook. It's called I Am Spiritually Fierce, appropriately. (laughs) Um, And you can just find us there and join us. And it's a wonderful space where you're a part of that beautiful community. And it's a really wonderful space to ask questions and to share your experiences and to access really um, incredibly authentic uh, people who identify as lightworkers, identify as spiritual seekers. And if you want to know more about the Institute uh, and my training, go to, um, we're just changing our name at the moment, but if you go to lightworkerinstitute.com.au, you'll find us there. The Institute will be relaunching as the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence in the next couple of weeks, which I'm very excited about because it's very much Um, you know, in keeping with my really authentic and genuine original contribution to this, to this field. And um, it's been a long time coming. So (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) You are ready. And you're a fearless leader. And I just am so in love with you. (laughs) And everything that you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm just beyond grateful that you came on the show and shared just really just a little bit of everything that you have to offer. And so I really encourage the listeners to go and check out the website, really join the Facebook group, Spiritually Fierce, I Am Spiritually Fierce, and immerse yourself in these new teachings and become a modern-day mystic and modern-day priestess. Yes, absolutely. Be what you already are. Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much, Ricky Jane. My great pleasure. Bye for now. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.